welcome to episode number 33 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded August 16th, 2019. My name's Eric. I'm the host of the show. I'm based in southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3 EPN, and computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and be able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian, and I live on a small hobby farm in BC. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sports shooter, reloader, field officer for the CCFR, and my farm's designated handyman. Now this is where Alan oh, comes in. I, I think we lost Alan. Uh-oh. Alan. Uh-oh. <laughs> hey, hey, well, uh, hey. I want to help support the show and uh, keep the Canadian Pepper podcast on the air. Maybe get Alan back. Uh, you can buy a Canadian Prepper uh, podcast t-shirt at rapidsurvival.com. All the proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. If you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to like us on Facebook uh, at facebook.com slash Canadian Prepper podcast and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad. Let us know if there's a topic you want us to cover or if you like or dislike something we're doing. Uh, email feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Go easy on me. I'm a very gentle soul. <laughs> and that sure. one's back. <laughs> As I was saying, I'm your technologically impaired <laughs> safety nerd. <laughs> nerd. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I'm a uh, local first responder. I teach first aid, coach my friends and family to be better prepared. I'm a locksmith by trade. I've worked in the physical security industry for a little more than 20 years now. Awesome. So we've got some uh, red hot content for you in this episode. Uh, we're going to start off with some news articles relating to preparedness in the outdoors. Uh, next, we'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since the last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic for this episode, wildfire preparedness. We'll move into some news. Um, local news, uh, for me anyways, there was an explosion in London, destroyed uh, it's, uh, seven homes, according to this article. We're now up to about 10. Uh, an impaired driver driving the wrong way down a one-way street. Uh, crashed into a house, severed a gas line, and that resulted in an explosion that set several houses on fire, sent uh, seven to hospital, six of whom have now been released. But uh, I would take the good with the bad that uh, although 10 homes have been destroyed, uh, no, one was, no one was killed and no one was critically injured. Uh, the driver was taken into custody, is facing a number of uh, impaired driving charges. And this is, um, if nothing else, this is kind of the the emergencies that I I like to prepare for because this is the like this is the real stuff. This is you know somebody's going to be displaced for a couple of days because of a local emergency, um, and yeah, uh, there were two hundred people in in that air in that neighborhood that were homeless for a night. They they had to be evacuated. Well, it's kind of a black swan thing out of the blue too, right? It's not like you can sit there and have a news notice that it's coming your way. It's, yeah, exactly. Uh, Literally had five seconds notice that your house is about to be engulfed in flames. So that's well, uh, that was it. Like it, the the good news because this was about eleven o'clock at night, so just about everybody in the neighborhood was home. Um, people heard the commotion after the crash. They heard the sirens show up, but like fire department was on scene before the fire started. Oh wow! To 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 do extrication because the, because of the uh, because of the car, and then after like at, like through that because there was a gas leak. Um, that's what caused the explosion, you know, f further into the incident. So there's nobody in the homes wow. and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it could have been, it could have been significantly worse. So that was, uh, um, that's kind of been the big news around, around London the last couple of days. 
um, where I like where I work in my day job is actually about six blocks from where that happened. And uh, I'll tell you, it was an interesting commute into work. Oh, I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. That'd be really neat, actually. As far as uh, yeah, actually, the, the CBC had a, had a helicopter cover like uh, circling the area for most of the day. Uh, that was Wednesday that it had like Tuesday night, Wednesday no Wednesday night into Thursday that it happened. Um, so Thursday, they had the uh, they had the, the helicopter circling. The, the the news article shows some of the some of the carnage, but there were seven homes just completely flattened, uh, and then a few more have had to be taken down since. So. Wow. Well, yeah, it's neat for me when you think about like the after after action report there to see if it like was more of like a explosion per se or just a a, a fire that got fed continuous fuel or what. But it sounds like they, it actually exploded for real. It like, was it was an actual it was an actual explosion. Like there there yeah. there's video of the roof lifting off and then hitting the ground. Oh, okay. It was it was a full it was a full on explosion. Oh yeah. wow, that's yeah. a well. As long as everybody everybody got out okay, that's the important part. Oh, absolutely. Yep. There was uh, four. Four of the injuries were firefighters. One was overnight. Everybody else had been released. There were a couple of police officers injured, and one uh, one or two citizens. Huh. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I got a couple uh, stories on wildlife interactions. Uh, first one I put in the actual show notes was a man stops a wolf attack in Banff, which was uh, not something you hear about too often. Um, when I lived up north, I saw one guy end up getting killed by wolves, but it's not. A very common thing, as as much as the movies would make it out to be. Um, so the one guy, even though he's a grown-up adult, who's getting pulled out of the tent by the wolf, and somebody else came to his rescue and kind of beat the wolf down a bit in order to uh, change his mind on it. But uh, yeah, animal gets desperate enough and hungry enough, they'll they'll try anything, right? They will. Oh yeah. So on a personal note, my oldest daughter actually was out walking the dogs uh, on my usual walk, but I was away at work, and she ran into not one but two cougars. Um, so yeah, uh, interestingly enough, the reason she didn't get hurt is because mom was trying to teach the baby cougar how to hunt, and baby cougar didn't know what to do because it ran into two dogs and a human, and they don't like to have their, their ambush spoiled. So uh, when the two dogs were going ballistic on the baby cougar, and my daughter had eyes on the mom cougar, they both backed away, so I was very fortunate on her end. But um, yeah, so yeah. it can happen anywhere, anytime. So that was just last week, the conservation officer was actually quite uh, quite enthralled to hear the story, so... Well, there we go. That's yeah, uh, dogs. Yeah, I actually carry a big dog. Yeah, well, that's interesting enough too. Is if you have one dog with you, the cougar will attack the dog. If you have two dogs oh. with you, the cougar will back away because they do not like to be outflanked or outnumbered. Hmm. So you're gonna walk. So in two. Cougar, so two is one. One is none. Two is one. <laughs> one is none. So uh, and it did have to come down to my daughter fighting off the cougar either, which is good. So uh, and the, I guess the baby cougar wasn't very big at all. It was fairly small. So. Uh, anyways, uh, moving along, the other one I wanted to mention, too, is uh, Hong Kong Airport shut down for the second day. This news article is a little bit old in the fact that uh, things have progressed for the worse, actually, in the last little while. But they had some protests going on in the Hong Kong area, and they decided to storm the airport and decide to make camp in there. So the reason I brought this up is because, of course, people that are you know, planning to travel out on a certain day have their plans thrown in the, in the toilet. And, you know... The vast majority of people are traveling by air nowadays, so it doesn't take much to shut down what is basically one of the biggest airports in the world. Yep. Just a few people protesting. So yeah, well, a few is probably a bit understated, but I'm saying that <laughs> it's uh, it doesn't take much to shut few. down. Yeah, to shut down the transportation infrastructure does not take much. No, no. I mean, you could you could do it really effectively with with just a couple of people, right? It's I mean, it's those pinch points that we we keep hitting on, like. That's that major pinch point, and within the within the building, 
you can shut that down at what four or five security checkpoints and then there's just no getting past it yeah yep. that's it you just sit and wait yep uh so you guys sitting down for this news article yeah everybody's sitting yeah. down everybody's ready for this I, I don't get paid enough oh. to stand. <laughs> uh, so I found a, a news article here. Uh, police chiefs say handgun ban won't stop flow of weapons into Canada. Get out of here. Whoa. You don't say. <laughs> I, I, am, I am shocked to hear this. Yeah. So some, some common sense is, uh, is coming out here. Uh, it's a CBC article. And uh, it just touches on the fact that... Um, yeah, the chiefs of police are starting to say that uh, the handgun ban is is not going to stop the bad guys from getting guns. Shocker, I know. I'm wow. Criminals don't follow laws. Yeah. Weird. But uh, that, it's actually nice. Uh, we were talking about this before the show too. Is that you know when you get above a certain level in the police services, it's very political, and so it doesn't take much for these people to bend to what seems to be the popular opinion at the time, which is usually based on emotion, not facts. Yep. So it's nice to see that these guys actually decided to stick with facts and reason versus going with what's the easy way to do, which is, you know, hopefully secure their re-election as a chief or reappointment, should I say, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, go with what the, the current government is, is pushing for. And there's, there's one little spot here uh, that I liked in the articles is a majority of cases involving gun violence. The handguns being used are already illegal, and it makes no sense to ban something that's already prohibited common sense uh, again i'm i'm blown away to hear that put in print by the cbc uh, that yeah. i'm i'm genuinely shocked that, that they that they ran that yeah um, happy to see it. good good on them i mean credit yeah. where due right good on them to uh um to, to publish that even though it's very it's very much not the the narrative <laughs> that they follow but um yeah that's um something that's already illegal making it more illegal is you know it's it's yeah. ha- turning the hose on somebody when they're already wet from the rain it just doesn't do anything yeah doubly doubly illegal yeah um yeah. actually uh we'll make to- it super illegal <laughs> that's right that, that'll show them um, <laughs> yeah actually interesting tim gilby on uh, youtube points out the fact that uh, currently the airports I, i'm assuming in canada are all jammed due to u.s customs computers being crashed so if you uh again transportation infrastructure is pretty delicate in the, at the best of times so if uh, hmm. all of a sudden a good chunk of people can't cross the border, that's a problem. Oh, yeah. What was that Steven Seagal movie where he refused to fly and he would only take the train places? I forget I what know. movie it was. I'm just thinking it, of the A-Team with B.A. Baracus again. Uh, oh, I mentioned him last man. time, but I ain't getting on no plane. <laughs> I ain't getting on no plane, fool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I... <laughs> That's like the third A-team, analogy, or A-team comparison I've had this week. Somebody else said something, and I was like, I do love it when a plan comes together. And I was smoking a cigar at the time, so that worked. Oh, uh, that worked there you well. go. Well-timed. Uh, yeah. So that's uh, – anyways, I think that's my that's my cue to watch uh, rewatch the A-team and, and, you know, wish I had somebody like B.A. Brackus in my uh, in my mag. Yeah, now, 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 do now try and get that theme song out of your head for the next two hours. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> right, let's move into what we've done lately for our preps. And what we've done lately for our preps is brought to you by Get Out, Stay Out Canada. They're the creators of the Get Out, Stay Out Campfire Grill and can be found at getoutstayout.ca. Really looking forward to reviewing that one, just for the record. I just uh, just got stock of them in here, so uh, I'm going to be checking them out shortly. But uh, the box is very heavy, so I'm thinking they're going to be good quality. Excellent. Love to hear that. Yeah. 
so for myself, uh, as far as what I've done uh, lately, is uh, I've been gone to the States for the week. So uh, it took time to learn the area. It's an area that I haven't been to before. Uh, so it took some time to, uh, to get to know the area. Uh, actually did it. Um, there's these little scooters they had that you can rent on Uber. So I hopped on one of those little scooters and just zipped around the block and around uh, around the hotel and learned the area. And then uh, did the uh, the typical recon of the hotel, like um, we've talked about in previous episodes, found some multiple exits to get in and out of the place. Uh, didn't have much of a choice as to where my room was going to be uh, as I was there for a big conference. So it was just throwing in a room and away you go. So I was on the 12th floor. Place is booked. So I just took some time to, uh, to learn my way around and, and count the doors to the exits and and figure out uh, some different ways to get out of the place beyond the uh, the main entrances and exits that they want you to stampede towards. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And nothing and nothing bad happened? Nothing bad happened, which is good. <laughs> That's how we like it. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's Texas. Nothing bad's going to happen. No. Except for the odd hurricane or whatever. Yeah, right. ah, don't worry about that. It's, it's, gonna, it's not coming in the main entrance of the hotel. We're fine. Yeah. Oh, uh, as for myself, uh, had a uh, got to meet an internet internet celebrity this week. I got to meet up with the uh, Prepper Podcast panelist Hughes, so uh, that was kind of cool. Uh, it's always neat to meet up with uh, you know, like minded people. It's even better with somebody you work with, but never actually met in person. Yeah. Um, got to spend some time at the range. That was always nice. Got to try out that new Vortex Optics uh, scope I mentioned a little while ago on a, I think two podcasts ago. And uh, arranged to meet up with yet another like-minded person here just to discuss some various skill sets. He's interested in getting into reloading, and he's a local guy, so um, that'll be happening tomorrow. Um, only had a few days at home really in the last couple of weeks, so I've just been busy maintaining the farm. Uh, been picking blackberries every time I have a chance. When my daughter's not walking the dogs, I try and get out there and get about five pounds a day when we're on the walks. Uh, oh. Big, big wild Himalayans behind our house. They're just uh, massive, massive stands of uh, berry bushes, which is kind of cool. Uh, processed two more birds uh, for the freezer. Uh, one, his name was Richard because he was a bit of a dick. <laughs> and so <laughs> we took care of Richard. And uh, he's it's was, was that the, was that the was that the big black Richard? No, no, no. That was actually he was a multicolored one, but he was so bad he was he'd, he'd walk by his cage and be he'd be thrashing to get at you. We never let him out in the, in the farm because he would chase around everybody, dogs, other chickens, Ooh. kids. Oh. So we put him in the show just to see if he actually qualified for the breed standard, and they said, no, he's, he's a bit of a loser. So we're like, agreed. <laughs> agreed. <laughs> Bang. So, and my daughters, of course, uh, since they've joined the, uh, the poultry, uh, local poultry 4-H farm club, they've become like merciless eugenicists. So basically, as soon as that bird didn't make the cut, he's like, he's going down, Dad. I'm like, okay. So he's he was... So Richard uh, got taken care of, and then one of the other guys, uh, he was actually unnamed because we knew his, his uh, ultimate fate, so we just waited for there to be cause to do more than one at a time, so we took care of those two guys. And uh, yeah, so we had a very successful 4-H farm show, uh, so the daughters did really well, and the nice thing is That's by cool. having a couple, couple of rewards or awards behind the birds, you can get a better premium for hatching eggs for them, and mm -hmm. uh, which translates for more cash for preps. Wonderful. And that's about it, uh, but busy enough. Nice. That is that is busy enough. Uh, this week I'm getting set up to teach a Stop the Bleed class. So I built uh, built a couple of props. One is for a, uh, a gash, like a gushing wound prop and a uh, severed limb. So we can practice some of that with uh, with the students. Uh, I'm gearing up for another week in a school. I'm now on the hunt for a new EDC flashlight. My other one uh, finally died on me about five years after being in my pocket every single day and going through the washing machine more than once. And 
there's a great little light, but it's it's kicked the bucket. So I'll uh, I'll put that out to the put that out to the listener base. If you've got something small, and I mean it was you know it was this big, and for scale that's about you know the size of my thumb, right? About two inches long, maybe an inch around. Um, that one ran on three little LR44 button cell batteries, which was really neat, um, really handy. So show me what you got. Um, I'm looking for something smaller than a AAA and uh, bigger than the little keychain thing. So. Uh, show me what you got, and I'm uh, I'm interested in replacing that. Um, and then uh, began the recruitment process for the county's emer- community emergency response volunteer team, uh, which is the team that sets up uh, shelters and rehabilitation and such when disaster strikes. Um, this particular the uh, the London London uh, unit of the CERV was actually in uh, involved in the recovery uh, after that explosion. So that's. One of the things that they do, they help uh, help set up shelters and such for people who are displaced and then help with the long-term recovery. So uh, my better half and I have decided that we're going to tr- get involved in that. So that's something that's coming up kind of end of October, beginning of November. We'll start training for that. So that's uh, nice. kind of what's new in our world. Awesome. Is it much of a uh, is it much of a process to go through all that, or is it like um, you know? it's it, to actually get to actually become part of the team? It's mostly just a background check and uh, pass a first aid class. Um, and be fit for a respirator. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty good on that part. Um, the, uh, the rest, the rest of the training, a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with the mindset of being prepared to be self-sufficient for 72 hours. Actually, the, the pamphlet was, um, was, was really informative about, you know, why it's important to be prepared for three days or more so that in the event of a disaster, first responders can deal with actual emergencies and not your stupid ass because you forgot to go grocery shopping yesterday. Um, so that's, that's kind of where their, what, where their head is in terms of preventing problems. Um, so I think that's, uh, um, I'm on board with that idea by sitting here right now. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, find out a little bit more as the, as the, as the, the fall goes on and see where, uh, see where it takes us. Yeah, I've got a suggestion here, Alan, in uh, in the chat here for uh, from Transport Canada Guru. Uh, says Olight S one R two baton flashlight. Olight S one R two. Okay, write that down. Small and lightweight. So that's in the. Okay, right on. I've actually seen that that very flashlight he's talking about. Um, yeah. It's actually pretty cool. The the rechargeable magnetic cable thing and it basically hooks onto the back and it's it's basically almost yeah, it's about the size of your thumb and uh they're not cheap but man are they if they ever useful like i've seen uh see them in action okay. they are a fantastic little flashlight well awesome. i will i will certainly look into that thank you for the suggestion all right well shall we move into the main topic i think we should all right so uh basic preparedness item uh for Wildfire preparedness. I guess we should start off with our talking points here, but uh, insurance coverage. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. no matter how unprepared you are, this is one of those things that's kind of a hands-off thing. But as a general rule, you just have to double check. But your house insurance should cover, you know, getting damaged by wildfire, whether it be the whole house or an outbuilding or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So I think as a very basic preparedness item, let's talk about maybe calling your insurance provider, just seeing what you're covered for. Um, yeah. Some insurance might cover just replacement of lost, you know, buildings or items, but other ones might even go as far as preparing uh, or providing hotels for you, uh, requiring you to pay extra for special riders if you have like five thousand guns in your basement. Maybe you should mention that. 
they might have to charge you extra in case you lose it all in a fire because they they always look for excuses not to pay. So there's no sense giving oh, yes. them one. Yeah, that's a good point. Not many people even are aware of what they have for insurance. They just sign the line and pay the monthly fee and assume everything's covered. Yep. Maybe not. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not as, as, as tactical as some of the other stuff we could talk about. But, I mean, yeah, it's just for the sake of a simple phone call, you might as well at least be 100% sure what you're covered for. Uh, yep. When mm-hmm. I was uh, – actually, we were we had a fire on the far side of the ridge behind the house here in place, uh, well, I guess near Port Alberti. And uh, it's a big resort lake they had, and you know, a bunch of houses were going up and stuff. And we had that uh, scene from Schindler's List when a bunch of ashes coming down in your vehicle, and you think it's kind of snow, and you kind of like, oh. And um, yeah, so I was I walked outside of the house in the middle of July about three years ago, and I saw a bunch of what I thought was snow coming down, and I was all confused for a minute. And yeah, it was ash coming down. So the first thing I did actually before I even started thinking about um, uh, collecting stuff up, I actually phoned the insurance company. It was like, so if this stuff actually catches our house on fire, what's what's what are we good for? And he actually said, well. Unless you take a flaming stick and throw it inside your house to start it on fire, you're covered. So that's <laughs> like noted. All right. <laughs> so as long as the fire starts on the outside, you're set. Yeah. He says, just just don't burn down your house. You'll be fine. <laughs> and uh, so it was, it was just nice peace of mind. So we can kind of like slow down. We were like thinking we're going to lose absolutely everything. Just a quick video of what we wanted to keep. Um, you know, that was number one. Because, uh, you know, you got to prove ownership no matter what. We'll talk about that later. But uh, it, it, it simplifies things a lot, but you know what you're covered for and what you're not covered for. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, another thing I wanted to mention here, choice of external house material. I mean, we don't always have that choice, but if you're building a house or if you're re- remodeling a house or changing stuff out, you know, uh, one of the things I hate about this house that we're in right now is it has shingles and wood siding. It's horrible. <laughs> for a fire preparedness item. I'd rather have like a steel roof and maybe stucco or a rock wall instead. I mean, that would certainly yep. be a little more fire resistant. I won't say fireproof. I would hope so. Yeah. Nothing, nothing, nothing's truly fireproof, but you yeah. can make it so fire resistant that it doesn't matter. Um, one of the things that uh, that's come out of the um, the the, you know, the the last few fire seasons in uh, like California is that they're starting to build houses um, where. You know, using balloon construction or, or stick frame construction has been standard for, you know, 50 years. Um, they're starting to build like ICF, like um, uh, precast concrete. concrete. Yeah. Um, insulated concrete forms or, or even just concrete, like precast concrete um, houses because it doesn't matter what's on the outside. Like the veneer doesn't matter. You can, you know, the, the, you know, the wood siding can burn off, but then the structure inside is still safe. Well, um, the, the best part about that ICF is it's way more energy efficient too. So, I mean, the, the greenies yeah. would be happy. I mean, you're, you're going to have lower power bills to begin with. And yeah, yep. a little more fire resistance, right? So, yeah, it's uh, if you're if you're building new, definitely, especially if you're in a, a wildfire zone, um, definitely look into the ICF uh, the ICF option. It's a little bit definitely more to build. It costs more to build, but when you look at the reduced insurance rates and the reduced loss rate and the reduced energy consumption and all that stuff, you'll probably end up uh, probably end up ahead at the end. Yeah. So and another thing I want to mention is, you know, if you're in wildfire season, I mean, you could probably mitigate a lot of damage just by reporting it right away if you notice a fire before anybody else. So preventing yep. the spread is part of preparedness and the fact that you might save yourself a whole lot of trouble because it might come back to you. So, uh, for example, our local number, if you want to report wildfires, is star 5555 on your cell. Um, sure, every jurisdiction's got its own local thing, but uh, in BC, Call 911. that's what it is. Don't, don't, be, don't, don't worry about it. Call 911. It, it's yeah. perfectly all right. And, and they'll, they'll send you in the right direction at the very least. Mm-hmm. 
So I just I mentioned that as just uh, as a mitigation factor and or preparedness item is like knowing how to report it to prevent the spread. Yep. Yep. Uh, first thing I really want to mention from a major point was uh, evacuation is not a mission failure. So <laughs> uh, nothing is worth your life as far as uh, wildfire preparedness goes. But uh, you know, prioritize what you would take. But uh, you know, yeah, basically, evacuation is not a bad thing to do. Uh, it's better to be out nope. with first mover advantage than than to sit around and wait till the very last minute. Um, number one, we plan ahead on all this, so yep. that includes uh, evac plan mm -hmm. for your livestock and yourself. Uh, if you're in a, uh, a place with one highway up and down the aisle, that's a problem. Uh, yep. <laughs> but that if, is you're, a problem. if you're in a place like Southwest Ontario, well, there's there's more options, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> more <laughs> options and less fire. Yeah, yeah and true, less yep. fire. Yep. Uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, I mentioned it just a couple sentences ago there, but yeah, first mover advantage can't be overstated. I mean, I'd much rather be on the highway with less stuff, but ahead of the crowd than being, you know, fully loaded down with everything Absolutely. I want to keep and being stuck in traffic and then overtaken by fire. It's, it's just stuff, right? Stuff can be replaced, especially if your insurance will cover it. Get out. Just, just get out. Um, yeah. That's why we should, we, you know, everybody should always have a, you know, a 72 hour bag ready to go. Yep. Each person, each person grabs their bag, throw as much water and food in as you can get out. Yeah, no, I can't agree more. Uh, that's for sure. Like, you look, look at that Fort McMurray fire and uh, the lessons you can learn from that. I mean, as soon as you see the people bogged down in traffic and not going anywhere, and the fire is like encroaching right behind them in the rear view, it's a pretty yep. sad state. Like, if you got yeah, yourself to that point, yeah, that's not where you want to be. No, <laughs> no, that's that's not a, that's not a that's not a place to be stuck in. Um, I remember one one of the things I remember reading about from from the the Fort McMurray fires. Um, a woman asking for help from a loaded car because um, her car was on empty or something and her husband's car was a stick shift. He wasn't there and she couldn't drive it. <sighs> she that's didn't have those, any gas in her car. Well, that's one of those life, life skill sets that, you know, like, yep. Yep. you should probably knock off your bucket list right off the bat. Yeah. I'll, I'll be the first one to say it. I haven't driven a stick since I was 16. I, I've, I've never, I, I've never sought it out. I've, it's never been part of me, but um, I've, I'm, I hope it's like riding a bike and I could figure it out if I had to, right? I could go back to, go back to when I was 16 in the logging cuts of Northern Ontario and remember how to get it going. Oh, it's definitely like riding a bike. Like, I mean, oh, I, yeah. uh, I, I prefer driving a stick shift, but uh, I kind of have to face reality. Like my oldest one's going to start driving here momentarily. And I'd much rather have teacher on an automatic. That's one less thing to sit there and try and, and overcomplicate sure. things with. And then once she's, Confident on that, then maybe if she wants to stick, we can talk about it later. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Learn, learn to drive. In, learn to drive in an auto. Practice driving in a standard. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But know how to drive both. <laughs> no, absolutely. You should know how to drive both. Yeah. Oh. I know how to start a diesel. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's one that people don't think of either. Yeah. Yep. Actually, it's kind of funny because yeah, if you're up in Fort McMurray, one of the job prerequisites to have is is a valid driver's license, show up to work sober, and if you can know how to drive a stick, they'll pretty much train you to drive anything else, whether it be a tractor, grader, whatever. But it's amazing how hard they have a time they have finding guys like that a lot of times. I was, I was talking to a, a local oil patch guy. He's like, yeah, guys that don't know how to drive sticks or don't have valid drivers, it's, it's amazing. Because nowadays, I guess, people are you know relying on public transit and everything else or maybe have a few impaired charges or whatever. But <laughs> it's just, well, it's, you think it's a simple thing, but it's not. Well, I mean, where, where I lived when I was, you know, when I was 20, where I lived was... Uh, 
uh, it was right downtown London. I lived on the 25th floor of a condo and uh, condo building, and uh, my entire world was in eight blocks. I had no need for a car. Yeah. I walked to work. I, the grocery store was two blocks away. My my local watering hole was right down the street. I just I didn't need a car, so uh, I had my driver's license already. But if I didn't, I wouldn't. You know, there would have been no there would have been no drive. Pardon the pun for me to get it. There'd been no there'd been no trigger for it. Uh oh, what I do now? <laughs> and uh, Tim Tim Gilby in the live chat's got a good point. Says if you can drive a motorcycle, you can uh, drive a stick shift car. Yeah, that's true. That's another one of those licenses that uh, you think about the motorcycle perspective of getting out of Dodge uh, down yep. in between traffic or on the side of the road, whatever else is stuck Absolutely. in traffic. That's another yep. bonus idea, right? The motorcycles there are a great plan. That's that is something that's on my bucket list is learning to drive a motorcycle. Yeah. Um, another thing I want to mention on this was the communications plans. So uh, you know, between the cell phone texting, it probably works easier when the lines are getting overloaded than trying to actually work a cell phone itself. Yeah. But this is where the ham radio check can come in. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Sure. You'll get lots of information even ahead of the ahead of the game on the ham radio because the guys are constantly watching for stuff, right? So if something's starting to happen, you're, you're going to hear chatter well before it gets to your area. And maybe not go. so much ham, but even having the GMRS radio is uh, between vehicles. If you're yep. you know, evacuating in a convoy, it'd uh, be nice to be able to talk back and forth in the cars without yes. having to rely on the cell phone network that it will probably be overloaded during an emergency. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. it will be. We've which seen that time and time again. Yeah, which doesn't take uh, long at all to happen. Uh, no. Shocking. No, it sure doesn't. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, somebody brought up this. Uh, there's actually on the, uh, the preparedness. Oh, what was the guy's name out of uh, the States there? Uh, oh, geez. Anyways, he, he runs one of those long-running podcasts there. Um, anyways, I'll spit out his name in five minutes here. But uh, he was mentioning having an out-of-province out or out-of-state third-party person that you can actually send messages to because as a general rule, if the local lines are tied up, you can uh, generally get a hold of somebody on long distance. Yep. So if you know your your better half loses their cell phone in, the, in a puddle, or you know you lose contact with them and you can't get a hold of them locally, maybe phone Aunt Sally next province over, leave a message and say, "Hey, if she happens to phone, here's where I am." Yep. And that's that's, that's uh, a real that's a really good plan. Yeah, it's just one of those things that's kind of outside the box thinking, but it does kind of work. And yep. uh, Jack Spierko. Jack Spierko, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Great yeah, podcast, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I've got so many podcasts on my phone, I'm starting to lose track. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so the outer province idea, third party, uh, preferably somebody out of province or at least uh, out of the local area. But uh, yeah, something to think about. Uh, rendezvous yeah, point. Somebody's, somebody's on a different different set of towers. Yeah, rendezvous point for uh, those of us uh, evacuating from a wildfire. If you lose track of the other person in traffic and it's impossible to catch up with them or they get turned off on an overpass by accident, um, hey, if things go haywire, we'll meet here. And I'll wait yep. for you until such time as I see you. Yep. Or um, until Aunt Sally, Aunt Sally, two provinces over, can get a message to you, can get a message to me saying you've ended up somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that's where to go and end up at, at, you know, not Point Bravo is, is, the, is the destination regardless. Yeah. Um, so of course this is really embarrassing and I swear to God, I wasn't plagiarizing, but I decided to do some Google, Google food to see what other ideas could come up with. And the BC government has a nice preparedness guide, which uh-huh. pretty much mimicked everything I just said. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, that's actually kind of insulting to me you now because that means I only think as, as imaginatively as a government drone. So it means I need to actually step up my game a bit. I am the government. I'm or, here. 
Yeah. <laughs> or the BC government has actually listened to the people and has and has responded in kind. I mean, there's again credit where due. They may have actually reached out to reached out to the locals and figured yeah. out what to do. Maybe or I like to think that maybe I thought as I thought as good as an entire committee of people from the BC government that sat down for six weeks and thought about all this. Maybe I just did it just as well as they did. I don't know. But that could be. That's a, also possible. <laughs> so in the, in the show notes, I left a, uh, a book a PDF that's downloadable off the interwebs, and it's free, uh, so it can't hurt. Uh, download it, take a little read. It's only like twenty pages, but it's huh? it's actually got a couple good tips in there. Um, good one to add to your library. Yeah, so a couple of local things I do here on the on the uh, farm to take care of the threat of uh, brush fire. So actually, I put the kids to work. I enjoy my child labor uh, when I can get it out of them. So uh, clearing the underbrush. So if there's just like fallen sticks, mainly leaves, whatever uh, that the alpacas haven't eaten up, we just try and gather all that up and then uh, make a nice big bonfire at the end of the day. So they give a reward at the end of it, our toast our marshmallows, but uh, it also takes away a lot of the fire hazard if. You know, mm-hmm. you get one and you probably don't want it to spread and, and help it, so you might as well get rid of all the underbrush and the combustibles off the ground, right? Sure. Uh, one thing we used to do on my farm in Alberta when I was growing up, but not so much here, is a controlled burn. So uh, what uh, my dad used to do, uh, we had a lot of grasslands and forests and stuff. He would actually burn the grasslands about every second year because uh, basically it was horrendous stuff. It would, you know, transfer fire right off the bat. But you'd get like all your neighbors together. There'd be like forty of you with shovels and, and hoses and stuff. And basically, you just burn the grasslands in between the forest and your house uh, to knock it all down to the point where you could actually mow it again. It would be green in six weeks again. But um, at least it's one way to take care of the excess combustibles because that's what grew locally, right? It was tall prairie grass. Mm-hmm. So controlled burn is an option if you have the manpower to control it. Yeah, the the controlled part is the is the key part yeah. of that term. Don't um, uh, yeah, have... don't do it by yourself. <laughs> No, I don't lose. Yeah, we had, we had somebody called in, calling a, a controlled burn a couple of weeks ago, and um, there was nothing controlled about it. Like we we couldn't see we couldn't see across the road for all the smoke. Like it was it was rough, and there was nobody around. He said, "It's a controlled burn." Is it controlled by whom? There's nothing the, here to control. The, the initial ignition was controlled. I, I'm sure it was, and I mean everything was in nice little piles, but there were still you know seventy tons of brush that they were uh that they were burning and it was it was it was big Mm. um and then it was small because we put a lot of water on it but (laughs) but uh yeah so the controlled part is important right if you're gonna you you know you burn you burn a section you put it out right away so it doesn't it doesn't spread beyond where you want it to go and you watch it afterwards (laughs) yeah make sure it doesn't flare up again firewatch uh, firewatch firewatch is usually three hours for every uh three hours yeah, no, we were good. yeah, I was going to mention that right away, too. Uh, fire breaks is another thing I'm guilty of right now. I'm three-quarters done, but that last quarter is uh, kind of daunting right now. i got one giant tree overlooking the house that I think we have to bring in some professionals for because I don't want to destroy my roof. Although I could get a steel roof afterwards, I suppose. I was going to say, you get a steel <laughs> roof coming afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> but then I have to deal with the anger of the rest of the family for the next six years, so that would be no good uh, either. Um, so, yeah, fire breaks is a big thing. Uh, depending on your terrain... Uh, winds, what's on the ground, fire breaks can be anywhere from three to 300 meters. It depends on what yep. works, right? Uh, so try and see what works for your local property. Uh, but obviously more is better. This, yeah, this I, think, is- I, I read I read somewhere, I think it was the, I think it was uh, a, a New Zealand uh, wildfire fighting manual I was reading because I'm 
I've earned the title safety nerd. Uh, they were saying they were saying that ten meters is good average. Yeah, and so I mean, 10, I me- ten meters is like like 30, 35 feet for for the rest of us. Um, so ten meters is a good is a good average all the way around of non combustibles um, to keep uh, you know to to give the fire a chance to burn out before it actually gets to your to your property like to your house. Yeah, and I, I see that BC manual breaks it down into zones, and it, you know BC uh, from you know three meters all the way out to you know three hundred meters, depending on what you can have and you know ways to mitigate the spread. So it was, it was pretty good that way. Um, you mentioned the fire watch. Uh, so around here, the big thing is if you're using a chainsaw and you hit a rock or you hit a tree spike, the hippies leaving one in the tree, or just the hot exhaust pipe of the chainsaw itself. Generally, they want you to be on fire watch after you use a chainsaw for up to three hours, depending on the, the state of the forest. Because, yep. yeah, there might be a spark there that smolders for a while before it actually catches onto something. It, I've, I've heard rumor, and I've never, I've never followed up to see if the study is accurate or not, but I've heard rumor that grass fires can actually burn underground for months before they actually surface again. Oh, it's, it's like coal mine fires. I mean, they've had, uh, I think it's in Alberta, and there's another one in Tennessee that's been burning for 20 years. Yep. <laughs> they just, oh. They've just been smoldering yeah. forever, and they, they, they're, they're so large underground, they can't put them out, and they don't want to send people down, and they just, yeah, they've been hillsides been burning for 20 years, no problem. So. Well, yeah. I wouldn't say no problem, but it's been burning for 20 years. <laughs> well, and, it's no problem to and keep And we consider going. that normal now. Yeah, Yeah. no, that's a no problem to keep it going, meaning that way. Like it's just, it's amazing how you would think it would burn up, off or burn up after a while, but some of these coal seams are huge, right? Uh, depending on yeah. where you are and they just keep going. So, and they were naturally started too. They weren't like some random dude throwing down a cigarette or something either is uh, actually a natural start. So, yeah, um, that's, uh, I've got a comment here in the live chat too, from uh yup. That's me. It says uh lawn mowing, uh, lawn mowing produces sparks too. It's a good point. Yeah, it's absolutely. Grass fire. Yep. Well, especially around yep. here, you hit a rock. It uh, yep. doesn't take much to do the old flint steel thing. Yep, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's a, that's a good excuse to not mow your lawn when it's dry. Yeah. <laughs> or, or yeah, I suppose or you could just do that controlled burn thing. <laughs> your neighbors would be thrilled in town, right? No, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a controlled burn. It's all good. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Um, it's, it's a controlled. We're okay. So yeah, I was going to mention if there is a wildfire kind of approaching and you want to mitigate the spread, uh, one thing to think about is if you have a nice big uh, rainwater storage to draw from if the power goes out, uh, just soaking the crap out of your lawn and roof. I mean, uh, if there's flying ash around and you want to mitigate the start of a a local fire on your property, well, it's wet, it's not going to start burning. Absolutely. So, and uh, of course, usually when there's a a massive wildfire like Fort McMurray style, the power is going to go out. So if you don't have water stored somehow on your property that you don't mind wasting, meaning like just throwing onto your lawn and roof just to keep everything wet. Water, rainwater storage is an option for collection. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, absolutely. Uh, have it keep it popped up ahead of time. I Actually, one of the local guys here has rainwater storage with a solar power, solar panel-powered water pump and a fire hose. Oh, so, so he's, cool. He's well Smart. squared away for that. So I was like, oh, nice. okay, that's awesome. That's a, that's so. a good, that's a nice setup. I like it. I remember... I, I remember a, a building I worked on a few years ago. It was a like a community center and a library, and it was the town's like emergency response, like emergency center. And they had they buried five cisterns, like five like five storage tanks that were connected to the connected to the roof drain, so they could so they could collect rainwater. Each one 
was 10,000 gallons. Nice. Wow. And they were, they, and that was, that was specifically for fire protection. Nice. Yeah. So that, that particular municipality did a, did a really, was, was thinking that was thinking ahead for that. And it was buried far enough down that it wouldn't, that it wouldn't freeze. It wouldn't you know rupture the tanks, but they could, uh, they could fill these, they could fill these tanks with rainwater and then have them ready to go for fire, for firefighting if need be. Yeah, right. If you get 15 feet down, you're pretty much going to stay at the mean temperature year round. So that yep, uh, works exactly. Well. Yep. Um, this, I guess, is our chance to to harp on everybody to make sure they keep their gas tank half full because if there's a fire bearing down, you don't want to top off before you leave. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, question for you, Alan. Uh, yes. As far as if there's you know a lot of ash so in the area, everything else, N95 masks are they good enough, or you need something more? Uh, it's better than nothing. Um, there are, you know, N95. So N, uh, N means non-oil based uh, particulate, and 95 means it's going to filter out 95% of the stuff that comes into contact with it. Um, it's better than nothing, uh, as as your as your notes say. Um, it's not a respirator. Uh, if the ash is hot, you want to be really careful of that because it can. Um, um, those master paper. So if the if you're like if you're in an area where the ash is hot, then I would suggest uh, I would suggest not doing that because you don't want to set your face on fire. Hmm. Um, that said, when we like when we do auto extrication where we're you know potentially we're potentially setting off sparks, we use N95 masks. Um, while firefighters carry N95 masks, um, there are a couple of manufacturers out there that have N95 ratings that do not use paper masks. Um, one of them, and there's a fire department, uh, mainland BC. Um, I actually, I listen to their podcast. So if you guys are listening, the, uh, the volunteer firefighter podcast, those guys are pretty awesome. Listen to them. If you're in emergency services, um, they've, you, they've tested and used uh, razor masks and they're, they're neoprene and then have a, have a replaceable filter in them. And they've, they've had some excellent success with that. Um, in wildfires, in terms of filtering out and keeping uh, keeping people's lungs healthy. Hmm. Cool. Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so a couple of things I just mentioned here: the locals, local firefighters, uh, if they get caught in a firefighting blaze and they get surrounded by fire, there is actually a, a survival blanket for the forest fire aspect. Uh, yeah. kind of, I think it's kind of beyond my price range, and I certainly haven't got one yet. But uh, it's basically a fireproof blanket. So if you get stuck in the bush and you can dig down a bit, throw the blanket over top of you. Suffocation might be an issue down the road, or lack of oxygen, but you won't get burned at least as much. So um, yeah, and those are, I mean, that that particular one is, you know, Nomax and reflective, and um, you know, it's it's pretty high end. Um, you know, I when I welded, we had welding blankets, and yeah. that would keep a lot. Like I mean, it was just cowhide, but it would keep a fair. Like it would you would keep you know ash and embers from from reaching you if you were wrapped up in it. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's it's certainly an option. I think that by that point, you pretty much left yourself uh, painted into a corner. But uh, yeah. one thing the guys do wear locally for uh, you know being around the fire area is the Nomex coveralls. I think you just mentioned Nomex yep. as well. Uh, synthetic uh, fabric that's basically fire. We can't call it fireproof, but it's not easily combustible. So and, I, I was I, I learned about Nomex recently, and Nomex yeah. does not burn yeah. under normal atmospheric conditions. But when you get yeah. it in an oxygen-enriched atmosphere, over 31%, Nomex is one of the most flammable substances on Earth. Really? Oh. Good to know. Because, uh, yeah, interesting. A couple of my coworkers up north used to wear them uh, from a fire 
uh, aspect, you know, in case they got, because yep. they're around gasoline quite a bit. And yep. uh, they swore by them, but I don't know if that would actually work around gas. As long as long as you as long as you don't happen to be standing like in a room full of leaking oxygen tanks, yeah. you're probably okay. Huh. All right. Um, local thing too, if you get stuck in the uh, in a fire zone and you know things happen, things start falling apart. Uh, logging helmet, um, helmet of any sort would probably help because uh, yep. uh, even when we're working around here normally, we get branches falling all the time. It's better to have something on your melon than not. Yep. Um, yep. If you can't afford the Nobex coveralls or the survival blanket, I was mentioning uh, wool. I think I'd rather be wearing wool than polyester in a, in a fire area. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Wool, wool, that wool won't wool won't melt to your skin like polyester will. Yeah, a friend of mine actually was wearing polyester gloves uh, one Halloween and got well, he caught on fire, and uh, he, because he somebody else that had spilled a drink and it caught on fire, and he he smacked it with his polyester gloved hands, and uh, his hands were on fire. And then they melt it to his hands. So, Ooh, bad yeah. scene. Don't do that. Overall. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's not good. No. Yep. It's no. not good. Yeah. It's, uh, no. It wasn't it's a good not, scene that's at not all. A good, not a good trick for trick-or-treating. No. Yeah, no, we don't, we don't, that's, that's not what you want. Yeah. Yeah. So, polyester is a big no-no as far as I'm concerned. Uh, as a general rule, I mean, who, who likes polyester anyway? Go to the surplus store. Get your wool. Yep. Um, yep. Axes and shovels. No excuse not to have them after our, our uh, hand tool episode. And... Uh, from a firefighting perspective, just having a shovel to smack down some fire, especially like grass yep. fires, it's very effective yep. on or, or ground fires. Um, yep. Axes, as corn, well as corn. Can... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was good. Axes, just in case you have to like break something up or uh, get into something, knock down a tree. You know, multi-use, right? Mm-hmm. Corn brooms are fabulously effective at knocking down ground fires. Really? Ground fires. Yeah. Yep, and because oh. the corn the corn is, is naturally rather resistant to fire, even even though it's been dried out, it still has a fairly high moisture content. Yeah, because so I would have thought it'd be like a little bunch of matchsticks or something. Yeah, that's what I would have thought. No, quite quite the opposite. Yeah. Hmm. there you go. I've learned my one thing for the day. Yeah, better yep. stop now. <sighs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I had. Uh, Al, you had a bunch too. Uh, yeah, most of the same as the above. Um, Get ahead of so the, the biggest the biggest challenge with with the spread of wildfires is uh, wind carrying the embers ahead of the ahead of the main body of the fire. Um, so if you can get ahead of that, you're okay. If you can't get in the, the 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 general rule is if you can't get out, get in the black. So the black is the part that's already been burned. Uh, if you can find a break in there or create a break, um, get into the burned out area. There's no more fuel there. You're you're safe. Um, you have to create a break to do that, which is why you have axes and shovels and implements of destruction. Um, so do that. Um, focus your protection. Focus your protection plans, your prevention plans, on your prevailing winds. So where I live, uh, the wind is almost always from the west to the northwest, or coming from the west or northwest, uh, which means that the back of my house is the highest risk. The back of my house also happens to. Uh, back onto a to a hundred acre field, and it can get it can get dry out there. So um, that could be a challenge. So that's my that's my my highest area of risk. Uh, and then your last layer of protection is the house itself. Uh, Ian mentioned it earlier. You know, use the use the non combustible or the, the limited combustible uh, materials on the outside if you can get if you can do brick or stucco or um, concrete. That's you know that's best because it's not, it's going to take the longest to burn. Um, Wood and vinyl are the are the fastest to ignite, 
and your your roof, a steel roof, is uh, is worth its weight in uh, in, in protection. Um, <clears throat> pardon, pardon me, guys. I'm getting over a bit of a cold. Um, one of the one of the things to understand about about fires is that it doesn't like the the direct flame contact is not your big is not necessarily your biggest threat, but radiant heat. Um, you know, so the embers burning for you know being blown forward will help ignite things, but um, the radiant heat of you know a ten thousand degree fire at your back door can actually make things hot enough inside the inside your walls to to ignite stuff. So depending on the age of your home, what your insulating material is, and how dry um, how dry the lumber is that that's holding up your house. Um, so the radiant heat can be a problem too. So yeah, keep it away from. Um, Keep as much as you can. Keep that fire as far away from your house as you can. Um, a good sprinkler system will help prevent that from happening in the first place. Um, be, be really cognizant of where your uh, where your fuel sources are, like your your gasoline, propane, oil, diesel storage, whatever it is. Um, if you heat your house with propane, um, maybe consider having that in a place where if it goes up, it's not going to hurt your house. You know, a little bit further, for, a little bit further from your house, probably a good thing. Um, you know, keeping your fuel canisters far away from your house so that you can't, uh, so they, they, you know, when they go up, then they're not gonna, they're not gonna involve your house, right? A, a garage or a shed is a whole lot easier and less disruptive to your life to replace than not having a bedroom. True. Yep. Um, and then. Don't be afraid to soak for a day or two ahead. Um, again, I was watching a, I was watching a, a documentary for, uh, about Cal Fire, which is the firefighting authority in California, and they do you know they fight all the wildfires there, and um, you know with various methods, and they highlighted a few specific uh, a few specific you know units that that, that were operating, and um, there was one little town that was threatened, and one guy for two days ahead of the fire. Uh, soaked all of his property all the way around. He just had a couple of garden hoses going. Um, soaked all, soaked his entire property for a couple of days beforehand, and everything was uh, gravel and concrete, and there was no lawn. And people made fun of him, and then he soaked everything around it, and then the fire came went right around his property. Everything else around it burned. His was still standing because it was wet. It took longer to burn up, and the wind huh. was moving the pushing the fu- pushing the heat fast enough that it went around his house. Yeah. Huh. So it's it's a thing, um, yeah. Even a few hours. Right? Every everybody that's that's been you know paying attention to our podcast at all for the last six months, um, you should you should be able to evacuate with everything you need to survive for three days in an hour's notice. With a wildfire, you you should have at least an hour's notice. So the, as soon as you hear those alerts, be prepared. Have a bag near the door. Back your car in. Right. Do the do the simple things so that. Um, you're not going to get jammed, right? Have those printed maps. Uh, plan to take the path of least resistance, not the not the direction you want to go, and just get out. Yeah, actually, enough. I forgot to mention you uh, talking about that too. Is like there is evacuation orders and and laws in place pretty much nationwide that you, you can't, unlike the states with a hurricane, you can't just choose to stay. <laughs> they'll they'll forcibly extricate yep. you if need be, and it's probably better to yep. leave with what you want rather than just, you know, stomp your feet, refuse to leave and then get thrown in the back of a police car and have everything left behind. Yeah. Leave, leave on your own terms. I mean, you yeah. can, you can, you can be right and dead, you know, it's, yeah. um, it's <laughs> something I've told my kids more on more than one occasion, right? Look both ways before you cross the street. You may have the right of way. That doesn't matter if you're flat. 
the same the same rule applies. You can be right. You know, you can stand your you can stand your ground and, and be right to, to have stayed and lived your freedom to your last and all of those wonderful things. Or you can recognize the fact that you can't stop the fire on your own, get out, survive, come back and and, and recover. But you can't yeah. recover if you're if you're no longer alive. So don't don't try don't try and be bigger than the fire. You you're just not gonna do it. Actually, yeah. uh, Tim uh, Tim Gilby on the the uh, podcast chat there says um, borax mixed with water and dunk some coveralls in to make a makeshift fire suit. That's uh, sounds like a neat home remedy. I'd try to get that a try. I'll let you try that first. <laughs> I don't say I didn't say I was going to wear the suit. And try it. <laughs> no, I meant Tim. <laughs> Tim, you try that first. Yeah. There you go. I found a cool new button here too. I can put comments up on the screen. Oh, what does that say? Oh, oh, oh cool, look at that. Yeah. So there's his comment right there. there we cool. Go. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, baking soda and water is a is a long has been a, has been a long time uh, fire retardant. I, again, I can't I can't speak to the efficiency of it, but it's uh, it's it's been used for. Actually, we have an old in our in one of our stations. We have an old 1929 Model A um, Model A fire truck, and it has a it has a a, a tank on it of about a hundred gallons, and then there's a smaller tank on top of that which held the sodium bicarbonate. And when you arrived at the scene, you mixed the one into the other, and there was an auger, like a hand auger that stirred it up, and then a hand pump that pumped the water out. So that was, and that was how they fought fires back in the day. Hmm. But that, uh, yeah, so, so sodium bicarbonate or, or the borax, um, um, mix it up, and I would rather try that under uh, under controlled circumstances and learn for yeah. sure, because that sounds to me like one of those old wives' tales. You know that borax is only found in one place on Earth. That green so, box in my grandmother's cupboard. No, not not the finished product. I mean the raw product. Actually, yeah, borax oh. itself is actually a very rare uh, material. It's uh, it's mined out of one place in California, I believe, and nowhere else. Huh? Look at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's two things I've learned today. There you go. Well, we should probably just shut down the podcast then. We really should. I think like, I think we're done That's here, guys. It. Yeah, we're done. Yeah. Everybody go home. <laughs> we'll move into the podcast challenge. Yeah, I think it's uh I don't really have anything else to, to throw in. All right. So podcast challenge for this episode is uh make an itemized list of what you'd uh, want replaced by insurance. Uh, take some photos of the items to prove ownership, uh, or copies of the receipts, save it to a thumb drive. Put and it in the I would add to that back. Back up that thumb drive into the cloud somewhere, or Google Drive or a Dropbox or something, so that uh, it, it exists in more than one place. Yeah, maybe have you another email, copy of it email the else. list to yourself. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Pictures are worth a thousand words, right? So. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And uh, like I said, the insurance companies will go to the way to, to not pay. So if you can prove that you own something. Yeah, and especially yeah. if you can get pictures of the serial numbers. That was yeah. actually something one of the, the guy that did our home inspection, he we the appliances were included and he took pictures of the serial numbers of everything as we were uh, as we were going through and that was just one of those one of those things I remember, right? It, you know, the, the it's one thing to say there was a fridge there, it's quite another thing to say it was this fridge. Yep. Yes, yeah, you know, they'll want to replace it with the cheapest one they can find. Yep. Absolutely. So if you go through uh, go through your house and make a list, if you find something that you think maybe um, not everybody thinks about, or uh, you think of a good spot to maybe stash away a, a backup copy of the uh, USB thumb drive or a neat little online service that uh, you might want to let other listeners know about, uh, just flip an email to feedback at prepperpodcast.ca and, and let us know. and We can get that out to everybody else. And 
be interesting to hear if what it's, kind of plans are. If it's something that truly can't be replaced, uh, maybe look into having a um, uh, having a safety deposit box because though like it, it's safety deposit boxes are usually in basements. They're usually within vaults. They're usually those vaults are usually encased in concrete rooms. They're 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 very well protected, um, and by extension are insured. Um, so there, it's it's a it's a, an excellent idea to um, um, to consider that if it's something you know something that truly can't be replaced. Um, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll do an entire episode at some point on, uh, on safes and vaults for the home, but, um, your fridge and freezer are well insulated, you know, important documents, not a bad idea to put them in a plastic baggie, toss them in the freezer, a copy of those. Um, the, the outside may, uh, the outside may burn, but the inside may in fact stay, uh, stay intact. Awesome. Let's move into uh, some upcoming events. All right. I just thought I'd mention the uh, TACCOM is coming up, which is the Tactical and Competitive Shooting Sports Show. It's uh, September 6th to 8th in, well, Toronto. <laughs> we talked about that last week. But it, it yep. is the center of the university. They do a big convention center there, but I do believe this one's in downtown Toronto. But it is pretty cool. They've got uh, a bunch of vendors showing tactical gear. Um, don't think there's firearm stuff per se, other than accessories. There, but. No, there there is. I've I've been following them on Instagram, and there uh, yeah. there's, there is there there are at least clinics for um, maintenance and servicing. Yeah, but I don't know if I don't know if there's live fire. Yeah, I don't think there's any. Live I can't fire, imagine there would be live fire. I, no, I can't imagine that either. No, other than on Jane and Finch, but other. Than- <laughs> yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say it'll be the Jane. people that don't have firearms licenses. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, our friends from uh, Kitty and Patriot Podcast will be there, Gavin and Andrew. They have a booth set up for TACCOM. Yeah, so go that check is them out. Yeah, go check them out. See if you can get a selfie with the celebrities that they are. And uh, that's what it. Uh, there's a website uh, in the show notes as well. Perfect. It's uh, TACCOMCanada.com. So. You can also follow that, there, that, that same that same TACCOM Canada on uh, Instagram, Facebook, I'm sure, the Twitter as well. They're doing a pretty decent job of... Uh, of getting the uh, getting the word out there. Looks like it's going to be a fun time. Awesome. Let's uh, move into some shout outs. I didn't put anything in here because, well, I haven't met anybody new. So yeah. that's it. You're all a bunch of jerks. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, you got me? I don't have anything this uh, this time around either. No. Okay. So a quick shout out to Hughes. Thanks for the meetup. And uh, just because he didn't show up this week, we're docking his pay. <laughs> all right. Oh, we've got another event here from uh, Tim Tim Gilby in the, uh, the live chat. Uh, Friday, September the 6th at uh, the St. Catharines Gun Show. So that's St. Catharines, Ontario. So, well, that's not quite Toronto, so that's good. No. Yeah. So I should. I am going to be at the gun show in Parksville next month. I have to nail down the date on that one. But uh, in my, my role as CCFR field officer, I guess I'll be doing a little booth there as well. So that should be yeah. fun. But I'll have to get the little details dog, by next little week. Little dog and pony show, yeah. It will be, yes. All right. I have been lacking and did not pull up the iTunes reviews. Uh-oh. Way to go. Yeah, I know. God. But terrible. we've got a few, so that's good. I mean, we've got yeah. a few uh, other ones. Give me two seconds here, and I'll uh, I'll pull it up here. If someone wants to read the uh, the Podbean one while I'm doing that. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot here. Uh, I got a Podbean review from Evan. So it says, uh, another great episode. I have a TCCC, that's uh, Tactical Combat and Casualty Care, IFAC that I keep in my trunk along with my Bob and get home bag. 
How often should items be replaced if they go through the heat and cold cycle of Canadian summers and winters? So, Alan? Uh, about, the, about the only quasi-perishable item in that is going to be the, uh, the lubricant for the, for the NPA, if you have one in, in, your, uh, in your kit. Um, other than that, um, plan to replace anything adhesive about every two years. Uh, medical tape, for example, does not do well uh, after it's been in the cold. Um, but beyond that, you should be you should be all right. I mean, most, if you're if you're buying you know the name brand stuff from a reputable dealer, um, you're getting high quality equipment. And it shouldn't be too badly affected by by a little temperature shift. Yeah, I think they mentioned um, about the uh, the cat the tourniquets. If by the cheapies, they're more affected by temperature than the actual. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, because because the, they're the, the material the material is less dense, and so there's more room for molecules to move around and stuff. But um, if you've got the good stuff, if you've got the good ones, the the name brand stuff, uh, which is what you should be using, spend the extra few bucks and do that. Um, you shouldn't you shouldn't be affected by the by the weather too badly. Um, I might suggest instead of keeping that in your trunk, keep it somewhere accessible. Um, in case you happen to be the, uh, the person who needs it and you can't get out of your car for some reason. Mm-hmm. That's about the only suggestion I have to you, Evan. And uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for the kind words about the great episode. I do hope that you left us a review. <laughs> or a, uh, and, a rating. And with that, I've pulled up the iTunes reviews now. Uh, <laughs> we've, got, uh, we've got 28 five stars now. We got that one little guy at uh, four stars, and we've got that, uh, that one, one star still. So no one. What was that? They hate us because they ain't us. Yeah, hey, you know what? It just means we're doing something right. Yeah, absolutely. If we, if we weren't doing something right, we wouldn't get any complaints. So I'll take the one star and the four star. It's all good. That's right. Good with that. Uh, no, uh, no new written reviews yet, though. But a couple of a couple of new star reviews. So we'll take it. Cool. Um, we had uh, we had a couple of Facebook Facebook messages. Yes. Yeah. So these you know, uh, we're, expand- we're expanding. This is awesome. Yeah, so these were left. Um, I put up on the uh, the Facebook page before we go live. I just link out to uh, to the live feed. So these were added to uh, the live feeds after uh, after they watch them or listen to the podcast. So we got one from Jeff uh, saying, "I listened to your podcast last night. Uh, you mentioned about keeping some spare money in a separate account. Uh, it does no good if you can't access it. Power outage, no ATMs working. Uh, I keep a small amount of cash on around just in case." Great point. He's a hundred percent right. Um, I didn't yep. touch on that. I didn't mention it. I, I just said that I keep money in, in a bank account and yeah, power's out. Ain't going to help me. Well, that's, I think, that's I think, absolutely true. Yeah. Yep. Keeping money in a spare account is, is good if you're trying to save money for mm-hmm. either a preparedness item or if it's like a, uh, a low level emergency, you know, like, yeah. um, uh, I'm just trying to think of something like you get kicked out of the house by the wife and you need a hotel for the night <laughs> or whatever. Okay. So yep. you know, social services are still in place, but, yeah, for the most part, if you want to have cash for emergencies, yeah, put it in a Ziploc bag, hide it in the bottom of your shoe or whatever, like wherever your yeah. personal preference is. Because um, cash is king, right? I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll count. I'll counter that by saying if uh, if you're if you're dealing with a localized emergency and you happen to get separated from somebody else, you can't give them cash. But if they have an ATM card and an ATM is working somewhere that you're not, then they still have access to it. So. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think there's, you know, there's there's something to be said for both systems. Yes. But, oh yeah. yeah. And you get, you Jeff is absolutely send... right that having having cash on hand is important. Yeah, and you can't absolutely. even send somebody need an uh, EMT uh, as a last minute thing for an emergency cash yep. donation if uh, you don't have cash yep. in the bank, right? So. Yep. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, we had another one here from Philip. 
uh, just uh, just started listening to the podcast and really need to ask you uh, what you're using for your OPA. So this was in regards to the, uh, the IFAC episode. Uh, your description left me a little confused. Uh, another reason I heard uh, regarding some uh, uh, entities moving away from uh, granular hemostatic agents uh, was increased uh, debridement uh, necessary following the initial application. Oh, debridement, yeah. Or debridement, yeah. 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 So debridement for um, those who are not familiar is um, the scrubbing out of a wound after uh, um, in, the, in the hospital, uh, which is absolutely correct. So let's let's just take that granular hemostatic agent and um, liken it to a Model T. Right. It was it was good in its time and it's lived its life. And now we have better we have better technology. Get the impregnated hemostatic gauze. I think I think yep. we've we've talked we've talked enough about both of those on uh, on uh, on the other pod on the other episodes. So go back to the uh, the IFAC episode, which was what two episodes ago, I think, and, uh, and we we go into that pretty deep. And, and you're absolutely right, Philip. That that is another reason to to steer away from it. Um, if I have the choice of using a granular a granular agent or nothing, I will use the granular agent. But if I'm preparing in advance to need this, then I'm going to go. I'm going to make the choice to have. The, uh, the impregnated gauze on hand rather than the grains. Um, in terms of OPAs, so we only kind of touched on, on OPAs. So an OPA is an oropharyngeal airway, uh, which is the tube that goes from your lips to your, to your, uh, uh, your pharynx. Um, that is one that's, that's a little, it's a little bit more complicated than the NPA. So the NPA is the nasal airway. Um, they're a little bit more forgiving in terms of size. So it goes kind of up the nostril and rotates through as opposed to going through, as opposed to going through your mouth. Um, most people who carry, who, who, who um, do that carry an, an NPA instead of an OPA, just because like I said, it is a little bit more forgiving um, with an OPA. If you put the wrong size in, um, you can you can cram it in the wrong spot, or you can miss entirely if it's too short and it won't do any good. So um, rather than uh, rather than OPA, which is you know a set of I think nine or ten different sizes, and I couldn't even tell you what the brand are online. They come in a clear package, and they're not they don't they're not, they're not stamped with a name a name on it or anything. Um, I was actually on the Ragnarok website just before uh, just before we came on here, and um, they've got the nasal airways. Those, those are the ones to use. It, it has a little tube of, uh, tube of the lubricant with it. And um, when you check out, uh, there's a discount code on there, which is uh, Patriot 10. It'll get you 10% at checkout. Um, that, but go with, go with the nasal. The 28 French is kind of the, uh, the standard size that fits the, you know, the, uh, the average, you know, smaller sized adult to larger sized adult. And well, it's more likely to be effective. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, like the last time I actually saw what we just called an airway at the time was the oral airway uh, was, you know, when I was doing my industrial first aid back in the 90s, I actually have not seen one, it, you know, like I said, lower level first aid courses even being mentioned to use. So, I mean, usually it's just tilting the net back and, and doing your best, but um, so it's more of a higher level first aid thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Like it, it's, it does take specialized training in, you know, in kind of in theory um, and understanding how to use it correctly. So the, um, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're in Ontario and you're taking the, like a, a BLS or a first responder level, uh, first responder level course, then we can talk about airways. Like we can talk about OPAs. It's, it's they're a little bit easier to screw up. The, the nasal airway is pretty hard to, pretty hard to mess around with. Um, it only, it only goes in the one way. 
Um, and yeah, you can you can damage the septum. You can do a little bit of damage on the way through, but it's it's not a ton. Um, either way, I mean, it comes back to if you if you don't know how to use it, don't bother. Um, do it right because that person's life probably depends on it. You know, if it's if it's important enough to you to have it, it's important enough to you to take a class and learn how to use it properly. Yeah. yeah actually, before I forget, speaking of Ragnarok, I uh, actually had the chance to meet Andrew face to face for the first time last week too. Uh, oh, yeah. So I've been on the, that podcast uh, as much as this podcast, and uh, we never actually met face to face before. So it just happened to we were both uh, six blocks away from each other, and ended up having uh, having lunch. So it was fantastic. It's nice. Nice. It's face fantastic. to face, face to face. So that was pretty cool too. Yeah. Awesome. I mentioned that in the other shoutouts. Right, and we've got uh, we've got an email as well. I'll read out here. It's from uh, NV35. It says, uh, hey, guys, enjoyed the episode on lazy prepping. Uh, definitely put it into perspective that it is easy to become overwhelmed. If you try to do everything at once. Uh, focusing on doing only one thing at a time and doing it right is the surefire way to success. Uh, funny enough, when I started building my EDC and range IFACs, I was doing that without even realizing it. Uh, excellent episode on IFACs, too, by the way. Uh, I've told my friends to give it a listen, so appreciate that. Uh, so after listening to uh, the episode, the first thing I did was take a spare jacket out of my secondary closet, as well as a toque scarf and light gloves out of the storage and put them in the car. Uh, it took me five minutes and the clothes were gathering dust where they were to begin with. So it's a win-win. I uh, know having to remove items from a regular circulation of clothes was important. It's a good point. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Actually, when I was at the farm fair, there's the, the A Company military surplus is right on the edge of the fairgrounds. And uh, I've mentioned that place before is having the cheap Gore-Tex jackets. So they've still got some of the twenty-five dollar Gore-Tex jackets, and then one hundred percent wool toques for five bucks. Wow! So, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I'll take one of those. So Stock yeah, up, yeah, yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, not just for the fireproof aspect, but you know, wool stays warm even when it's wet, and around here that makes a difference too, right? Yep. So yeah, yeah. good stuff. He goes on to say, I'll add uh, one good step uh, to take for lazy prepping is to find a clear space in your home for a stockpile. Uh, it can be easy to let spaces under your stairs or the corners of the basement uh, become, and uh, it's some French word he's tossing here that... Uh, Oubliette is the word. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, my uh, my French is not strong. Uh, so And then he translates it, says the French term loosely meaning a place you put things to forget. Uh, so clearing out a space for stockpile is the first step to building that stockpile. It'll also help you organize around the house. Great point as well. Mm-hmm. Actually, the uh, the traveling prepper had me a little jealous there. I uh, saw his setup there, and he actually had a room dedicated to setting up preparedness stuff. So he would actually have like a big clear space, bring in all the equipment he wanted to deal with, and then he was actually able to like organize it properly uh, without any sort of cluttering or like losing where stuff went, and he have a place to focus on doing that. It was fantastic. Beautiful. Goals. Continues the email here. Uh, next thing in the tackle is water. I really like the idea of filling up water jugs to flush the toilet with. Uh, you never know if a major event or service interruption can leave you without water pressure. So having the means to flush a toilet can go a long way to keeping your home sanitary while you adapt and overcome. Uh, this yeah, brings absolutely. me to the question, when uh, stockpiling water, would you suggest getting large containers or flats of smaller bottles or a combination of both? Uh, consider that I have uh, numerous reusable water bottles around the house. I'd say both. Both. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, like, uh, just being able to hand a neighbor, friend, you know, whatever, somebody else has a bottle of water to drink from, yeah. and then having a large, large container just to fill up a, a tub with, or like a toilet with, there's no sense in getting 50 water bottles to fill up the toilet for a flush. Yep. You might yep. as well have the flat of Costco water, which costs about, what, 10 cents a bottle. If and, that, uh, 
and then have the, the spare containers around the house, whether it be Home Depot buckets or whatever, just to flush the toilets with. Uh, there's definitely use for both. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, 100% um, agree. Nothing fancy. Actually, had an interesting thing on water storage on his YouTube channel. And the fact that he was using liquid oxygen to keep it fresh. I mean, you can do it with bleach. You can do it with all sorts of stuff. But uh, yeah, you want to make sure it stays oxygenated, relatively fresh. So if you if it's smaller bottle, it's easier to shake up and make fresh than it is to have a large bucket and make yep. fresh drinking water with. Right. Good point as well. That's a that's a great email. Thanks so much, NV thirty five. That's uh, yeah. I love that feedback. I love listening to love hearing hearing what other people are doing as well. Yeah, that's good. And uh, just a reminder, if you've got something that you want to uh, contribute to the show, you can flip an email into feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. And even if you want to join us on the panel one night, we uh, we welcome other people to come out and, and contribute to a show. So uh, flip an email into feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. And we'll, of course, read the email out and maybe even get you on the panel if you want. That'd be cool. So with that, I you, have, you, have to wear, you have to wear a t-shirt if you're going to do that. <laughs> I just yeah. part, of the, part of the official uniform yeah there, there's a mandatory yeah. buy-in yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so with that i'll bring episode number 33 of the canadian prepper podcast to an end uh, you can find the podcast on itunes podbean spotify or your favorite podcast app uh, please help us out take a few minutes and submit a review even if it's a one star we'll take it uh it helps other people find us well, maybe not the one star but the five stars do uh you can also find us at uh, prepperpodcast.ca and of course on facebook uh, we do record these shows live via StreamYard. Uh, if you want an early peek at the show, find us on YouTube. Uh, search for the Canadian Prepper Podcast and click the notifications tab. That will give you alerts when we are going live. Uh, if you want to find me, you can get me directly on Instagram at PPSWO. All right. You can reach Ian directly by emailing me at theislandrepeat at gmail.com. You can also find me on Canadian Patriot Podcast, also available on iTunes and YouTube. There you'll find us exposing war government waste, scrolling off on the odd firearms-related banter, and generally drowning our sorrows, diminishing freedoms we face as time goes on. Hey, please check me out. Chicago uh, boy. <laughs> uh, check me out at rapidsurvival.com. Uh, you can get me there on the live chat. We'll uh, buy in some prepper gear. Uh, you can also email me at uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, thanks for joining us, and you can tune in for the next episode. Uh, we're going to be turning the geek level up here and uh, talking about internet and communications security. Super so, nerds. Ah, uh, yeah. Bring your uh, bring your beanies and your pocket protectors. It's going to be a good show. Uh, so until next time, uh, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning.